0: And it's, as always, good to see everyone out this evening. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Good to have another hour of worship, to sing songs of praise to God, to study His Word a little bit longer, and just to be with one another a little bit more. I think it's never time wasted when we spend time together as God's family, and especially as we are focused in more so on... On, on, worshiping Him and and just trying to dedicate more time into serious consideration and devotion to Him. So it's always good time spent, and I, I would say, at, at least hopefully, effectively spent. We uh, have had a good day thus far, even with some of the weather. I we looked a little bit this morning at. <clears throat> I would say, I think, is always a timely lesson. I, I like to have those topical lessons every now and then. Tonight is going to be another topical lesson. Uh, so usually I try to make one topical and one textual, but you get two topicals today, and I think the lesson this morning went pretty well. Nobody complained about it. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> uh, but uh, today we're just going to have a, a, just another topical lesson. Continuing our thoughts really from last week, We we began looking... Uh, a a few months ago or a couple months ago at the qualifications the work of an elder last week we looked at an elder's experience and really like I said it was going to be one of two lessons about an elder's experience because I think these things kind of go together and you're going to see why as we go throughout the study Uh, generally I've been kind of taking a little bit more time in between these lessons but as I said I I didn't really want to take that much time as I think these are connected as you think about a shepherd's experience the kind of experience that God requires for a man to lead as a shepherd we we need to we need to be so careful about how we approach that kind of conversation and you know we talked in that first part last week about some i would say often debated questions about some of those family qualifications we looked at the domestic credentials and and you know even staying as basic as we did there's always going to be more conversation there was conversation after the service last week um, and you know as, as, as I've said a couple of times I don't think I'm going to be able to answer all of the questions but I will say this especially about the questions that I pose I pose them for a reason I may not be able to answer all of the questions but I do believe that there are questions um, or or, or, uh, there are going to be questions that I can't answer, but I do believe there are answers that we can't question. Um, And and so we just need to deeply consider these things as we have this conversation, as we look at what we need, what God says we need in shepherds. And so we're going to finish this thought of a shepherd's experience by moving on from the family credentials into two more qualifications, which is that he not be a new convert, and he also be able to teach. And ultimately, I've kind of just summed all this up as, is he a mature Christian? And so just those two qualifications tonight, in First Timothy chapter 3, we already read verses 4 through 5 last week. But we'll pick up in verse 6. It says, and not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So as you see from the very beginning here, when it says a new convert, I think we all understand what that means. We're talking about someone who is a new Christian. That's not what a shepherd can be. A shepherd needs to be a man that is mature. A shepherd needs to be a man who has spent the time to become mature. And a man who doesn't have any of the experience needed to lead as a shepherd just simply therefore is not qualified to be. So time absolutely is a factor. And doesn't experience just by definition take time to instill. You know, it, it, it's kind of hard sometimes when people, when young people get out of college and they're looking to, you know, they're putting things on their resume as much as they can, but then you get to that question as you're being interviewed by, you know, your potential manager, your potential boss, and they say, what experience do you have? Well, you know, been in school for a while and I've incurred quite a bit of debt. That's about all the experience I have. And and it's I've, I've even had uh, some Hurdles when it comes to the experience of a preacher just being the age that I am at 26 years old. I will say I think some of you would be surprised how much I have experienced in in 26 years. But regardless, it's something that takes time to instill. And so time absolutely is a factor and we we don't want to overlook that. To build the kind of character that we've talked about. To build up the kind of reputation that doesn't, it's not built in a day. Much like people say about Rome. It, the kind of habits that need to be put into place, which we'll talk about another time, th- these things take time. And if we don't have that time on our side, well, then we there's, I don't think there's any real way that we can have that character or that reputation built up. And so all those, that's kind of the reason we've taken this progression as we have. And when you get to a man's experience... Uh, you, you have to understand that all of those things that we've previously spoken of, it's going to take some time to build that up. And so time absolutely is a factor. But you look at verse 6 again, you see the qualification that he not be a new convert, but then you get the purpose in the, right after the qualification. Why is it that he can't be a new convert? And what God says is he's unequipped to lead, and he also is unequipped to handle this responsibility and the temptations that come with this responsibility. He's just simply not ready so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. The devil knows what he's doing. He tends to wait for those opportune moments, just like we see uh, him trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. He utterly failed because that's Jesus. But when you look at a man who is supposed to be leading as a shepherd, there's a few things that he's building up, as we already mentioned. The leadership skills the ability to lead uh, confidently, and the ability to lead very uh, considerately. But also, as you think about that experience, he also needs to have built up some level of resilience, and some level of, of, as I said a moment ago, confidence. And if we don't have that, it's going to be very hard to be a leader in this capacity, in such an important capacity that God has given to us. And so, He's a man that's seasoned, he's a man that's been tested, and not just tested, you know, he's been tested, but he didn't do well (laughs) when he was tested. He's been tested, and he has learned if he's made mistakes, or he has done well when he's been tested. And I think that's another thing that we have to look at, and really that brings us to the next uh, notion of not being a new convert. I like the way the New King James Version puts this. It says that he not be a novice. And I think that just adds to this uh, application here. Because while time is a factor, I don't think it's the only factor. Because there can be somebody who's been a Christian for a long time and yet not act like the mature Christian that he should be. Somebody can be a Christian for a long time and yet he still acts like a novice. And what we mean by that is he, doesn't, he acts very inexperienced and immature. He acts like a rookie at, Christ, at Christianity. Not like an aged, seasoned veteran. And that's what we need. Someone who is acting like a veteran. Who who knows what they're doing because they have done it well, or at the very least, they've learned from the mistakes that they may have made in the past, and so this just adds to that notion of 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 there, there's time that's involved here, but it's time well spent. You think about a Christian who's been he's been so for forty years. He was baptized forty years ago, but kind of like what we talked about this morning, he complains about brethren constantly. He's been a Christian for a long time, a lot longer than I have, but Is he acting like a mature Christian or is he acting like a novice? We talked about earlier, he's not a mature Christian. He's quite the opposite. He's a very immature Christian, he's acting childish. And so he's not acting like the veteran that that is needed. He's not acting like the mature Christian. He's acting like a novice. You have a man who's been uh, a Christian for 50 years, 60 years, but he has a reputation of hypocrisy to outsiders. Now, we've talked about that reputation, that testimony that's needed to to, uh, be had by a man with outsiders, and that's important. But if he is viewed as a hypocrite to all those who are not Christians, and even they can see it, Again, is he acting like a mature Christian or is he acting like a novice? It's pretty clear, isn't it? He's acting like the novice. He's acting like the rookie. He's acting like someone who doesn't know what he's doing, who should know better. Or maybe he has a reputation, not out with outsiders, but a reputation with brethren of lashing out when he doesn't get his way. Is he acting like a mature Christian or the novice? Very much the novice. And so while time is a factor... It needs to be that, it, that it's not only that somebody must have time on their side, but it must be time well and effectively spent. And making sure that during that time they have built themselves up, during that time they have learned from their mistakes, during that time they have used it appropriately. So that way when it comes time for them to lead and it comes time for them to be appointed, well, they have all these things down. And so that, I think this is so important as you think about not being a new convert. All of these things. Must be in place. And so it's time well spent. So that's all I have to say about that qualification. But I think it has a lot to do and ties well into the next qualification. Which is the notion of being able to teach. Or apt to teach, your translation may say. Now, as you think about this, this is a man who has spent the time, as we were just talking about. And become experienced in the word. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 15. Paul says... And again, this isn't directly to elders, but I think this is absolutely necessary for elders to have. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Is that not very much needed for an elder, for a shepherd? I mean, it's, it's, it's a necessity, it's an absolute critical necessity. That he be one that can accurately and rightly handle the word. Someone that can present themselves approved before God. Not someone who's still working on it. And, and I don't mean to say that he's just going to be perfect. But what I'm saying is he's done a good job in getting to the point where he can, like Paul, as I've said before, say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so he accurately handles the word in, in, in an appropriate way. And he holds to it in that, in that way. In, in chapter 3 in verse 16. Chapter 3 in verse 16, another very familiar passage. And again, not directly towards elders, but look at what it says. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let me ask you something. Can a man be a shepherd if he is not a man of God, adequate, equipped for every good work? No, he's got to have these things down. And so as you look at all of these scriptures combined, he's a man who uses all scripture. First of all, he's not going to be picking and choosing what he wants and what he does not want. There's not going to be some topics that he's afraid to teach on. He's going to teach on it all, which we're going to look at more in Titus chapter 1. But but he uses all of scripture, and he appreciates all of scripture. Not only that, but when you think of all of that scripture that, that Christ has given to us, that he's revealed to those that are his people... He is a man who uses all scripture in each and every one of the ways that we just read in chapter 3. Every way that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. He uses it for every facet. And again, he's not picking and choosing which one he wants and which one he does not want. This is a man who's well practiced in doing so. And he's not someone who you look at and say, hey... I, I don't you think you need to start kind of don't you think you need to look into this a little bit more don't you think you need to instead of always being on the offense maybe being a, a little bit more focused on uh, the, 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 the reproof not just the hard correction don't you think you need to be focused more a little bit on training and righteousness and not just correct you know again all of these things go together. And so he's not someone that you have to ask that. He's someone who already has this down. And so he's someone that maturely handers scripture. Now, again, we need to we need to be very considerate about how we approach specifically this, uh, th- this qualification, this quality of a man. Because when you look at this, kind of like the time that's spent as a new, you know, what's a new convert? Could it be two years and that man's ready? I don't know, potentially. I, I just don't know. You'd have to... We'd have to see that man first and talk to that man first. But even that, it's somewhat relative. But because there are sometimes relative states, and I hesitate even using those terms because the Bible is pretty clear. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing when he's communicating to us. But here when it says he's able to teach, what I mean by relative is that this does not mean that every man who serves as a shepherd is going to be just as eloquent as the other. There may be one that's much more eloquent than the other. There may be one that's just not, kind of like Paul, who says, you know, I'm I'm not that great like Apollos at, at, at speaking publicly. I'm not as good as he is at, you know, the delivery or presenting. I'm just not eloquent like he is. But would any of us say that Paul was not able to teach? He was very able to teach. Now, Apollos was eloquent, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It, it, but it's not, it, this isn't talking about eloquence. I think it's helpful, but it's, that's not what it's talking about. What this is talking about is, does this man have the capability to teach the gospel and, and effectively and clearly? This means that every man who's going to serve as a shepherd is able to teach and do so. Now, again, I, as I say all that, we, just as a disclaimer, we can't make we can't allow this to be so relative in our minds that we compromise on this quality because some may say well not everyone's going to be as eloquent as the other man so you have a man over here who says well I, I, I would like to serve in this, in this role in the church I'd like to be a shepherd I'm, I'm okay with teaching privately but I really am not going to be able to teach publicly I'm okay with teaching in a small setting but I really am not comfortable teaching the Bible class now let me just say I, I don't think that man's qualified Because there's going to be a need as a leader to lead from the front as an example. How can you lead as an example if you're not willing to speak up when there's the need that arises to speak up? And so he can't just say, I want to teach privately, not publicly. And he can't just say, I'm only going to teach publicly, not privately. It goes both ways. This is a man that's going to be ready and willing to do it all because he is going to be a leader in that way. Um, One of the the reasons I think this is because you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 again in verse 24. Now here Paul is really specifically, he's writing to an evangelist. But look at what he says. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, Patient when wronged, when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Now this is why I bring this up. You look at a man who says, "I want to be an evangelist." Paul says the same qualification you've got to be able to teach. Would it be appropriate to support fully a man as an evangelist if he says, I'm willing to talk to maybe one or two people at a time. I'm not willing to get up and do the sermon. I'm not willing to go out and evangelize to the community in a public public way. Would that be able to teach? I, I don't think so. Paul says, this is what you need to be as an evangelist. You need to be ready and willing and available when those opportunities arise. And in the same way, an elder with the exact same qualification needs to be. Whether it's private, whether it's public. And again, it doesn't mean he's the most eloquent man in the world, but what it means is he can effectively teach. And 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 that's really what I want to focus on for the rest of our time throughout this lesson because now as we think about this, with all of these things stuck in our mind, how can we tell if a man is experienced in this way? How do we gauge this? How do we measure whether or not a man is actually experienced in being able to teach specifically? Well, I think it comes down to, as we've already said, Can this man effectively and clearly teach and communicate the gospel to others? He may not say it as eloquently as Apollos, but he still can say it as effectively as Paul. And Paul was rather effective, wouldn't you say? So there's a few ways to identify this, and we're only going to look at a couple. But go ahead and turn over to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. This is kind of in the middle of some of the same qualifications we've been looking at. But in verse 9 specifically, after he gives some of those qualifications, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, he says, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So there's, I'd say, there's a lot just in this one passage. We can't, we can't hit on everything, but there is just a few things I want to mention just specifically from this passage. And, and one of which being, this is a man who knows the scriptures well enough to defend it. This is a man who is not always going to be caught off guard whenever a question is asked. Whenever he is asked a question to, to defend for the faith that is in him, defend the hope that is in him. He's someone who knows the truth well enough, who spent that time, as we talked about, not a new convert, but spent that time getting to know the word. So that way he can effectively answer and can effectively teach. Now, as we read this passage here, is a man qualified if he can exhort with scripture, but not refute? Both are needed. Is a man qualified if all he does is refute and all he can do is refute, but not exhort? What is he? He's a shepherd. Not only does he need to refute false doctrines, false teachings, but he also needs to be able to feed the flock. As Jesus tells Peter, both of those things are necessary. Is this a man that holds steadfast the word, as Paul says here to Titus in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, or is he a man who handles it profanely, not accurately, not rightly handling it, or maybe handling it to suit his whims, not the Lord's. Handling it in such a way as to make everyone have to fall in line with what he wants. Maybe his just his opinions. Not scripture. Not the doctrine of Christ. Not the truth. That's not a man who is qualified. It's only the man who holds steadfast to the word. Regardless of what the situation, regardless of what the consequences are going to be. That is the man that's qualified. In addition to that, as we look at Titus chapter 1, there will be moments where mouths must be stopped. And I love the way that Paul puts it here because sometimes people, they look at the gospel and they say, as we, as we are trying to talk to people and communicate the gospel to people, there, there's no room for being you know, severe whatsoever. And Paul just, just, he, he just <laughs> makes clear that, that they don't even understand what they're talking about. When you talk about evangelism and you talk about spreading the gospel to people and you talk about specifically the household of God that needs to be protected, there are going to be moments where mouths have to be stopped. In fact, that's happened here, even within the last year. There will be moments that come where we will have to continue to look at people, factious men, as he talks about in Titus chapter 3 and verses 9 through 11, where he says, you know, you warn them, but if they continue to be factious, if they will continue to be divisive, you need to reject that person. And an elder above all, needs to be wary of that responsibility. He needs to be ready and willing, as we've already said, to do this even when it's hard. There are going to be moments where topics and doctrines, false doctrines, are brought in that must be fought against strongly, and in fact, maybe even proactively, before it comes. They need to be thinking ahead in that way. If a man has no backbone to stand up in this way, is he able to teach? I don't think so. He can't refute when it's needed. If a man doesn't know how to defend against false doctrines, always is sidestepping, always is saying, well, we're going to have to look at that another time. Is he able to teach? What is that going to do to the people around him that are looking up to him as an example? If he's always constantly saying, oh, we're just going to have to look more into that. We're going to have to look more into that. He needs to be someone that's, that's willing to be ready and willing to fight those things head on. And, not, and, and let me just add to this. It's not just that he needs to be trying to look ahead and making sure that, that when these things come in, you know, trying to see what is it that's going to come in, what kind of false teaching is going to come in. When it comes in, he can't try to handle it gently. And let me rephrase this. He can't try to handle it by making everyone happy. He can't look at a problem that comes into the congregation, that comes into the church, an issue that comes into the church, and just try to say, well, let's find a way that makes everyone equally happy, let's try to find a way to compromise. We will not be compromising on this word, no matter who says it. We cannot compromise on this word. And so if a man is just, you know, maybe he is just trying to be gentle. Maybe he is just trying to be kind to everyone. It's not kind or gentle to compromise on the word. It's weak and it's timid. And that's not a man that's able to teach. And so that's important that we keep that in mind. On the other hand, what this means is that he doesn't act like those mouths that need to be shut, that need to be stopped, that are upsetting the faith of whole families. Have you ever met someone who doesn't like to stir hearts, but rather stir the pot? You know that person that is constantly just trying to, you know, ask questions in the Bible class or maybe just trying to uh, start something within conversations? He just likes the argument. He just likes the fight. That can't be an elder. You want to know why? Because when you ask those kinds of questions... You know, so, so in, within the Bible class, you have people, empty talkers, who disrupt the Bible class for un, unedifying questions, unencouraging questions, discouraging questions. Someone asks questions like, what about the man who dies on the way to be baptized? Now, let me say, I think that there are some people that ask that honestly. But if you have a man that's been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, and he's just asking that in the Bible class to try to stir the pot... He's not able to teach. Want to know why? Because all he's doing, all he cares about is adding doubt to people's lives. That is not edifying people. It's just adding doubts where there's no need to add doubts. He's not able to teach. That is an empty talker. He's acting just like the people that Paul says, you need to shut their mouths. This role, you need to feed the flock, not terrify them. Not terrify them into wandering astray. And so, I think Titus 1 has a lot to say about this. Can he exhort and refute? Is he willing to do these things? Is he ready and able to do these things? But also, when you look back at 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is why these two lessons, I think, go together very well. Because when you look at a man, is he able to teach? I think those family credentials really are helpful. Uh, I think it's just another way to identify this by looking at the man's ability to instill faithfulness in others, specifically those that he's over in a a very close capacity in his life his kids his children his family and that's why we kind of began with that last week in first timothy chapter 3 in verses 4 and 5 look at this again in verses 4 and 5 of first timothy chapter 3 he must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity but if a man does not know how to manage his own household how will he take care of the church of god And we're not going to get into everything that we talked about last week, but I I, I think this goes together really well because what better way to recognize a man's ability to teach than to look at the faith that he has or maybe has not instilled in his children? You can tell a lot about a man's ability to teach by the state of his household, as you see in Titus chapter 1 and verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5. So, what do you see? Are his kids Christians? If not, why not? And just like I said last week, I think these are questions that we need to consider. I'm not saying that this is the end-all, be-all. Maybe there's room for discussion, but these are questions that still absolutely need to be talked about, need to be asked. And the man should be more than able and more than willing to answer those questions. And I think that when you think about a man who's able to teach, able to effectively communicate the, the gospel and effectively instill faith into people and feed the flock... I think his kids are a great indicator. So maybe this is one of the first questions to ask. Not only that, but do they have an independent faith? Has he taught them to have an independent faith? Or are they just riding on the fumes of their father? Father and mother. If if, if this is the case where they're completely dependent on the whims of their parents, does that display a well-instilled faith by him? And again... If this is the case, I'm not saying that he's done a terrible job or that he's a terrible father. But it's still a question that needs to be asked. And it needs to be considered by everyone. And so we need to talk about those things and have those conversations. I, I, I Just add another step to that. Maybe he has Christian kids. Maybe, maybe all of his kids are Christians. And so everything looks good. It looks like they have a faith of their own. It looks like they all are, are believing children and, and, and faithful children in every single way and by every single uh, you know definition of the word. But what if they're children that are constantly questioning the need for authority? What then? They're all Christians, but they're constantly trying to test the boundary line. They're constantly trying to push against the grain. Is that the kind of faith that displays a man has done a good job? What does that indicate about his ability to teach? I'm not saying that any of this is easy. And in fact, let me just give a disclaimer here. One more time, I'm not saying that if a kid rebels, that it's all the father's fault. Ultimately, we all will be held accountable for our individual choices. But again, these questions are valid and important to be asked and answered. And so don't just, don't just hear these things and say, oh, what, what does he know? Don't just hear these things and say, well, you know what, there, there's all kinds of scenarios. There's going to be all kinds of scenarios regardless. I think when we get into all these scenarios, we look just like the Sadducees that come to Jesus and, and give him this crazy thing. What about this woman that's been married seven, eight, nine times, you know? And what does he say? You, you, understand, you understand not the power of God nor the scriptures you don't know either one so we we need to not get so sidetracked on all these hypotheticals and lose sight of the standard that God has given us and we need to be able to have these sometimes hard conversations so that way we can get to truth we can get to a scriptural standard and we can all unanimously with one accord say We are are going forward with what Christ has given us. We are going forward with his instructions and we are doing something that is going to be fully pleasing to him. Isn't the whole point we're having this conversation? Don't we just want to be pleasing to him? Don't we want to just be able to, to look more the way he wanted us to look from the beginning, from the establishment of the church? We're just trying to please him and we're just trying to make him proud. And so let's not get discouraged when when these conversations come up. Let's not get discouraged when these questions are asked. Ultimately, what we're doing is we're making ourselves better. And we're making ourselves look more like his church, the bride, and more like him individually. And and I would say when it comes to the gospel uh, invitation, the great invitation, that is what Jesus wants. We said this earlier this morning, but he wants us to look more like him. He wants us to have the confidence that he did, that for the joy set before him, he could face every trial, every tribulation, and that even in the small moments, the minute moments that that maybe are of no consequence, we can have the joy of just being a child of God, knowing that they have heaven before them. We've asked a lot of questions tonight, but let me ask you another one. Do you know that you have heaven? Are you a Christian? Do you doubt that you would see him in heaven should you lose your life this night? You're not supposed to live that way. And if you are, you have brethren here that would love to help you. Ask me a question. I'm always willing to have that conversation. Don't leave this building with any doubt in your mind about your eternal salvation. If you're not a Christian, do you know that you have heaven? Or do you know that you do not before you? You can make that right this evening. If you are willing to hear Christ's word, all of it, not bits and pieces, all of it. And take that in, believe it, have faith, be faithful in that teaching, walk after his footsteps, repent of everything he says to do away with, make a confession based on that belief and be baptized into his death. You can rise in newness of life, his life, and live a resurrected life knowing that we have heaven. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.